Good morning. Um, if you have a copy of God's scripture with you um, and would like to follow along, we are in Hebrews 10, 26 to 32. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment with a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified he is, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And then... The Lord will judge his people. It is f a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you were endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's praise God and give Shelby thank you for reading the scriptures for us. Thank you, Shelby. Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, good to see all of you guys. So, um, this passage of scripture... Just to say it straight up is super intense. It's really intense. And that, in fact, last, last week uh, I had a guy um, come up to me. It was, it was that evening, um, Sunday night. He said, hey, pastor, good sermon this morning, yada, yada, yada. Um, are you preaching the next passage of Scripture next week? Are you doing that? And I said, yeah, I think, I think so. And he's like, have you read that passage of Scripture yet? And I said, yeah, I think so. You know, um, and it was a it was a good it was a good exchange because it encouraged my heart um, because he said, "Why well, I, I praise God, our we we go to a church and, and then our church doesn't skip over passages of Scripture." Amen. That's a good thing. It's a good thing, even when it's hard. And this morning's text is certainly um, a lot about God's wrath, His punishment, His anger over sin. Uh, these topics are not light. It's not like light reading. You know, this is not a romance novel. Uh, this is a little bit more intense. And, uh, and you know, it, it's just something that God has in store. We have a guest band here, Arendelle Band. Awesome. Um, we're doing our gender reveal later today. Daggett baby number five. Yeah. Uh, should we do Facebook Live or no? Yeah? Yeah? No? Yeah? No? Okay, I know my wife's answer. No. No. Don't do that. So anyway, um, we'll, we'll see how that works, but it's, it's, it's an exciting day for us. Um, and in the midst of all of that, I get to preach on the wrath of God and apostasy. So, so you see, like, the, 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 the plan of God is not always super convenient for us. It is just God telling us that he's God and that he's good. And when we tackle passages like this, it's really, really excellent for our souls, even though it's hard. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it came to my mind. It might be a verse of scripture you might want to look up. It says this, it says, And I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Why, why would I bring that verse up? Because it shows a variety of God's heart for his people. Like a pastor has to do a lot of things during the week. Sometimes you got to admonish, you know, the idle. You got to tell people get going. But so, oh, you also have to encourage the faint-hearted. And you also have to be patient with everybody. And I think as a pastor, one of my callings is to be tender with you as a congregation and also be tough with you. 
And so every good parent in this room and in the theater next door, like you can say an amen to that, right? As a parent, you're a good parent when you can be tender with your kids and tough with your kids at times. And certainly um, that is the reality of being a pastor as well. This is a warning passage. So there's five warning passages in the letter to the Hebrews. This is the fourth out of five warnings in this letter. It might be the most severe warning in the entire book. And, um, and just remember that m- warnings, when we come up into warning passages in Hebrews, they're meant to make you pause. They're not meant to make you feel petrified, okay? Like they're meant to make you pause, think, ponder, meditate, change. They're not meant to push you into petrified fear that you can never be a Christian. So I just want to encourage you that way. Warning passages uh, throughout Scripture, they're like looking at, at, at lookout points on a mountain range. Have you ever been there before in the Rocky Mountains or at the Grand Canyon or something? If you've been there, you're, you're right there seeing glorious and awesome views. Um, warning passages just are reminders to hold on to the guardrail in front of you. Amen? Like you don't, you don't want to um, like not hold on to that guardrail. Warning passages are looking at the majesty of God, the glory of God, the beauty of God. It's all incredible, but hold on to the guardrail. Hold on to the warning passages of Scripture and make sure that you've got a hold of those things, okay? So as we go there, um, let's open in a word of prayer. Ask God to um, give us understanding, open our hearts to the Scriptures, and then we'll, we'll see what He has for us. Father, You're a great God, and uh, so awesome to gather here this morning as a church, so awesome how you moved in people's hearts at 8.30 and now here at 10. God, we are so humbled by the, the good news of Jesus. We're so humbled that you are a holy and righteous and powerful God. And you are angry at sin. That is true. And Lord, we don't want to deny you your character, but we want to humbly acknowledge that you are God and we are not. And Lord, in the midst of that, Lord, may you look into our hearts. May you, may you meet with us in a special way. May we learn new things from your word. And may we also feel our hearts and souls being blessed by the truth. Lord, we ask that you would make this passage come to life for us. And Lord, may it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main idea, let's get it up on the screen here. The main idea of this passage this morning is that the author of Hebrews is telling us that we must be so careful, right? We have to be so careful to not pretend with God, okay? So you see that? Don't pretend with God, especially if you've received the gospel. If you know Jesus and you've heard of him and you've heard of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, it it moves us to be so careful careful this morning with the knowledge that we have. We have to do something with that knowledge. We can't just like skate off into la-la land. We have to do something with the knowledge. We have to be so careful not to pretend that we're not hearing God. We need to be authentic. We need to be open with him, and we need to say, God, you're speaking to me, and I'm listening to you And I don't want to have a deliberate heart of rebellion this morning. I want to do good things with the knowledge that I have. Now, to illustrate our main point in the text is is, um, 
Finding Nemo. I, I can't think of a better illustration than Finding Nemo and a Disney Pixar movie is an appropriate illustration in a theater. Can I get an amen? Right. So you remember that, that scene in Finding Nemo when Nemo is being yelled at by his dad and he's going out to the boat and you remember he, fly, he, he swims all the way out to the boat and, and the dad, Marlin, is saying, Nemo, get away from that boat. You can't do that. Your little fin, you can't do that. You know, your little fin thing. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it, Dad. And he's being deliberate. He's pretending that he's not listening to his dad. And, and you remember that exchange. It's super intense. He gets to the boat. He looks back. Nemo, don't you touch that boat. Don't you touch that boat. And remember, he puts his fin up like this. And then he puts the fin down, and he touches the boat. And his friend says, he touched the butt. You remember that? Such a great scene. And so... <laughs> And so I feel like that is a theme of this text is that we're not supposed to just like gather together as believers and encourage one another and pray for one another and do all the things that the previous passage said and then come into this reality of who God is and then, and then listen to God, right? And put our fin up and say, God, I know you're saying this about your holiness and your anger and your power and your wrath. I'm going to touch the boat anyway you know like this deliberate choice of pride is the area that i think god is talking to us about this morning we can't be deliberate we have to be so careful not to pretend that we don't hear god we hear him and this is what he's saying so this passage is a wake-up call to all people who are pretenders who call themselves christians but deep down in your soul you know you're not a christian this this text is specifically for you to understand God's heart for you, okay? And so this passage has three warnings. I want to give you all three warnings in this passage this morning and then apply it to our hearts and talk about Jesus at the end. So God gives three warnings. Warning number one is to not create um, a pretend God, okay? Don't create a pretend God. Uh, Point number two is to watch out for hard and habitual sin, in your life. And warning number three is that God will judge all pretenders in the end. So we don't want to be pretenders this morning. We want to be authentic, open Christians before God. Therefore, warning number one is don't create a pretend God. And you can see this in verse 26 and 27. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That is intense language. And then if you skip down to verse uh, 29, it says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved if the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant? In the author of Hebrews' mind, there is real, real powerful visions of who God is in this passage. Can I get no witness? It's powerful. I didn't get any witnesses there. Come on. All right, there we go. All right, I know it's hard, hard subject. But look, God, the author of uh, Hebrews has given us a real vision of God, a real vision of Jesus. We're talking about judgment. We're talking about uh, uh, wrath. We're talking about the fury of fire. All right, and and it's, it's intense and it's real. It's a real vision of who God is. Now, I want to I say this because... We need to be careful not to create a pretend God. This is who God is in this text. Let's not create a pretend God. 
the God of America, let's be honest, the God of America is a soft God. Soft God. Here's what I mean. Uh, We have embraced, as a culture, broadly speaking, not everybody, but broadly speaking, we have embraced therapeutic, moral deism. That's what we've created. We, we crea- we've created a therapeutic God, a God that, you know, only gives out candy, that God. That's who we've created. The God who only gives blessings, but he doesn't bring judgment. The God who, who only brings joy and laughter and compassion, but doesn't bring wrath and judgment and punishment for sin. We have got to be so careful because in our culture today, we only want God who gives us candy and we don't want anything else. Here's what I mean. Um, Our culture is becoming so psychologized and so therapeutic that that we have to be careful not to struggle with passages like this. If you become too therapeutic and too psychologized, you'll come to a passage like this and you'll say, I don't even know if I can handle a God who, who sends people into a fury of fire. That's a hard thought. It is a hard thought. Welcome to Christianity. Now listen, um, I'm not against psychology. You know, if you guys re- remember, we have a very large counseling ministry in our church, and we are seeing great things happen. We're very conversant with the psychological world. Uh, we're seeing a lot of things happen. We love helping people through their problems and help them work through biblical change and spiritual change. That is a wonderful thing. I'm just saying we have to be so careful here because we can become so therapeutic that we want God to be our psychologist, not our Lord and King. We can want God to be our therapist. And can I just tell you this morning as your loving pastor, God is not your therapist. He's God. Amen? He is God. You can't control him. Now, in the midst of that, he is full of glory and power. He is full of mercy and might. And we have to get a grip on this because it's hard for us. We as Americans, especially in our, in our culture, we need a reality check on who we think God is sometimes. Because God is not a, a pretend God. Okay? Like, we're drowning as a culture in apostasy. What's apostasy? Apostasy is rejecting God, rejecting Christ. That's basically what it means. If, I go, if I'm an apostate, I'm someone who has rejected the Christian, teachings of Christianity, and I have made up for myself what I believe God to be. Now, again, it's like playing pretend. Now, I have four daughters at home. We, we, so my two older daughters don't play pretend as much anymore, but my younger two still do. And how many of you, your kids play pretend at home? Yeah? Okay, yeah. So, okay, so I got pretend. Uh, there was a salon at our house on, on Thursday night, and, and Nariah was running the salon, and she was putting foil in my hair, and she's like, Daddy, welcome to the salon, and I got to put foil in your hair, and I got to do this, and I got to cut your hair here, and Daddy, why don't you have more hair? <laughs> it's true. happened. It's a true story. Well, um, they're playing pretend, right? They're playing pretend. And so many times, I think that's a good illustration of what we've done as Christians, is we've played pretend with God, like, God, I like you like this, I like you like this, I like you with this, I like you with that, but I don't like these characteristics over here, and we have created our own pretend deity, and we've got to be so careful. Because God is God, he's holy, he's righteous, he's full of indignation over sin, and, and creating a pretend God is, a, is an intentional falling away into our own 
apostasy, and that is scary, and we ought to run from that as Christians. We need to hold on to orthodox doctrine. Jesus, in fact, warned about apostasy in Matthew 24, verse 10. I think we can put it up for you. All right? Jesus said this, and then there will be many who become apostate and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus was talking about the end times, and he said, during those end times, many people will become apostate. Jesus warned us about it. And in Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus himself said, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith on the earth? He was wondering. And then the Apostle Paul talked about this as well in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said this, now the Spirit expressly says in the later times that some will depart from the faith. Some will become apostate and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So look, like th- these are realities. The sin of apostasy is crazy, and we cannot create a pretend God. We have to understand the God of the Bible and embrace him for who he is, because the more we do that, the clearer it becomes in our minds. Just the other day, I was talking to a guy named Lupe. Um, he's a really good uh, two-year con- contact for me. Young guy, um, and he's, we've been talking about religion, we've been talking about Christianity, and he came to me on Tuesday night, we had a watershed conversation in front of his house. He came out of his house, he wanted to talk to me, and he said, hey, I just have so many questions. He's like, I, 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 how, do, how, how do we know, he grew up Roman Catholic, he said, how, how do we know that atheism isn't true? Like, how, how about that? What about agnosticism? And he said, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. And he's like, and then he's like, my new boss is a Muslim. And his like mind was about ready to melt, <laughs> you know. He's like, what do we do? And I said, you can meet with me every two weeks. Praise Jesus. And we can work through this. But listen, when we begin to pick and choose who God is and we begin to accept all systems of belief into our minds, we begin to detach from the biblical view of God. And we have to be careful. Don't create a pretend God. So how about you this morning? How about you? Are you creating a pretend deity? Is your God the God of the Bible? I sure hope so. But this text pushes us into the reality of what we need to believe, to believe the God of the Bible, that he is a God of judgment, he is a God of wrath, and he is a God of justice. So that's warning number one. Warning number one, don't create a pretend God. Warning number two, watch out for hard and habitual sin. Watch out for hard and habitual sin, verses 26 through 29. And let's just start in verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, the idea here is that of sinning, deliberately sinning, is a present continuous tense verb. So that means that it's happening, and it's happening all the time, and it's happening um, habitually and on purpose. So that means you're sinning, but you're not falling into sin. You're jumping into sin. You're, you're loving your sin. You're doing your sin. You're, you're determined to do your sin. And uh, you're doing that with the context of knowledge, which makes it even more dangerous. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. So, so to sin is bad enough, but to sin habitually with full knowledge of Jesus and the gospel is even worse Now, the word knowledge there, there's two words in the Greek for knowledge. One means a general idea, general knowledge of things. And there's another Greek word that means a specific, intimate, full knowledge. That is the word being used here. 
If you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the full, clear, compelling knowledge of the gospel, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is a big deal. Okay, because we have individuals in our society, and, and we're all prone to this, where we, where we sin and we sin deliberately, and then we begin to do that knowing the gospel, knowing that Jesus died and rose again, and we continue to say, no, you know what, I'm going to continue to do that thing because I want what I want, and I want it now, right? We, we, have, we have done the Burger King theology thing, right? We have made it your way. Make it your way. And we've done that over and over again in our society, so where there are no rules, there's no limits, and you know that God looks down from heaven and he says, you can't do that. You're a pretender if you are going to sin deliberately over and over again in my face with knowledge of the gospel. That's a big deal. Now, if you're like a parent or a teacher, you know, you know what's going on with this. You know what's going on with this illustration. Like if you tell your kids in your classroom or in your, fa- in your family room, hey, stop doing that. You have better knowledge. You know, you have a knowledge base to not do that. And they continue to do that. Okay, homie ain't playing anymore, right? The teacher is going to get fired up. The parent is going to get fired up because, look, you've pounded knowledge into their minds. And if they have knowledge to know what they should be doing, and they continually, deliberately Nemo you, right? They Nemo you at the boat, and they just continue to sin. You know it ain't going to be compassion that meets them. You're going to meet them with discipline, whatever that looks like. And what plagues our country today is the amount of people who profess Jesus but continually sin with no fear of judgment whatsoever. The problem in our culture is that we have a generation who's grown up in the church and grown up as pastor's kids and grown up as missionary kids and grown up as believers in the church and they are living as if Christ is not even real. That's the problem in our culture. You want to know? Our, our problem in our culture is not mainly political. Can I get an amen? What's mainly the problem in our culture is spiritual. We got a bunch of kids that have gone through church, and they have grown up, and they say the name of Jesus, but their life exists to sin. Deliberately, over and over and over again, and that is what needs healing in our land. There's so many stories, and I don't want to go into all of them. But we must watch out for hard and habitual sin in our lives. And in the lives of our children. And in the lives of our grandchildren. Pretenders are not afraid to treat Jesus as common. If you're a spiritual pretender, you're going to treat Jesus like he's common. What do you mean? Check it out in verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the name of the blood of the covenant. The word trampled there in verse 29 means to be treated with rudeness and insult, to treat as common, like stepping on something, like something common, to tread down, right? You've heard the phrase, don't tread on me, I'm sure if you know American history at all, but if you know the the idea of treading is to step on something that you think is not worth your time. So, to illustrate this, we have a dime in our garage. I have a dime in my garage. It sits underneath Danielle's van, has sat there for about three weeks or a month now, and I just keep looking at that dime. And every time I look at that dime, I think, I should really pick that dime up. 
But you know the second thought is, it's not worth it. I don't want to pick up a dime. I mean, you guys look at small change, you know, in your pocket, and, you, and you're like, well, here's a dime or a penny. You know, like pennies, like there's a big debate whether there's a coin shortage or not, but like we don't even like pennies. We don't pick up pennies. Pennies sit in parking lots, and, and this dime is sat in my garage, and I, I think I should just pick it up. I mean, seriously, how lazy is, do I have to be? Seriously. Like, I see it. I've seen it dozens of times. I see the dime. I don't pick up the dime. All it would take is a little bit of effort. Like, physically, like, if I'm going to go out on a walk for two miles, I can't, I can do that, but I can't bend over and pick up a dime. Are you serious? No, because I, why? Because I treat the dime as common. It's common. It's too common. Okay, now, what if that dime in my garage were the 1874 Liberty Seated dime worth (laughs) $115,000? Yeah, it'd be a little different, right? It'd be a little different. Actually, I should probably go check that dime out and see uh, see if it's the real deal. Okay, but if it were that 1874 dime, I would be the biggest fool in the history of fools not to go pick that dime up because it's worth $115,000. I think I could pay for like one wedding with that. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. But look, if I'm treating the dime as common, because I'm just assuming that it's common, and way too many people treat Jesus as if he is common. You look at him like he's a dime on your garage floor and you say, oh, I know Jesus. I know the gospel. He, he died. He rose again. I get it. I mean, like, really, how much do, more do I have to do? I get the facts. You treat Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the most unknowable, most amazing person in the history of the world. You treat him as common. And we got to be careful in our lives. We need to watch out for hard and habitual sin. Third warning. The third and final warning is that God will judge all pretenders in the end. And you can see this in verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then you can drop down to verse 30. We know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So starting in verse 27, it, you're, there's an expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. I just want to break that, that, that phrase down a little bit. All right, the first idea is that God is zealous to give just anger and punishment for sinners who are obstinate and are choosing to walk away from the gospel. God will be faithful to judge with zeal of fire. Now, lit- literally, the, the furnace of fire... In verse 27, the fury of fire, it literally means that you will be in the passion, the zeal of God's anger. That is intense. That is such an intense vision. And in verse 30 and 31, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now the word fearful there in verse 31 is is phobos. It's where we get our phobia word. So it's literally like scary barn. It's a scary barn thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can I get an amen, Reuben? Come on. Yep. But more so than a scary barn, it's scary to think about 
falling into the hands of holiness when you have obstinately pushed away the gospel your entire life. So I thought you said God is compassionate. That might be a question you're thinking about. Pastor, God is compassionate. He's not wrathful and angry. Like, why? What not he compassionate? Yes, he is compassionate. Our God is full of compassion. Amen? He is full of it. But he is full of it for those who are ignorant of the gospel. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is compassionate for those who are hearing the gospel for the very first time. Acts chapter 4. And in fact, if you just want to read the entire book of Acts, that will be a great blessing to your soul. God loves, he has tons of compassion on people who are hearing his gospel for the first time. And, and God has massive compassion towards children. Amen? Matthew 19, 14. Let the little children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. God loves children, and he loves it when adults have childlike hearts. Do you remember what Jesus said? Unless you turn, repent, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Adult, does that challenge you this morning? You've got to have a humble, childlike heart to get to heaven. How are you doing? You got it all figured out, you wise, obstinate, pushing God away? Or does that prick your soul to say, I need to be childlike in my faith? Okay, but is God angry? Yeah, he's angry. He is angry at apostasy. He is angry at men and women who have heard the message repeatedly over and over again and arrogantly push it off like the rocky soil in Matthew 13, 20. And the Pharisees and religious leaders in Matthew 23. God is angry at those who have heard the message but are stubbornly bitter and hardened in their heart by sin. Hebrews 12 verse 15 in Esau. God is angry at those who willfully lose their childlike faith. Revelation 2.4. And God will judge his people. How does God judge his people? He does it two ways. One in this life, one in the next. The first judgment of God on your life when you are sinning is that he will just give you to yourself. Romans chapter 1, he'll just abandon you to your own desires. You want what you want? You want it right now? You don't want God to be involved? You don't want Jesus anymore? You know what? The judgment of God is on your life when God just lets you go. And he says, you want what you want? Go ahead. You can see how the judgment of God has fallen in our culture. Today, in America, because God says, you want what you want, humans? You want to do what you want to do? You want to recreate my rules? You want to recreate my morality? Fine, go ahead and do it. That's a sign of judgment on a culture. But secondly, there will be a hell fire judgment for those who don't believe. For those who push away, who are obstinate, who don't receive the message. And as we close, I... I just want you to know God will judge all pretenders in the end. Now, I don't know who the pretenders are, right? I'm not God. I don't know. I'm just a pastor show, you know, sharing the word of God with you. But you know if you're a pretender. You know if you're a pretender this morning. In your heart, you know deep down that you need Christ. There was a young woman who, after church, after first service, came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I felt like you were preaching right at me. She said, I grew up in the church my whole life. I heard about Jesus. She's like, but I've never heard that. And it reminded me of my own story. I grew up very churched. 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, meetings all the time. Heard about Jesus, heard about Jesus, heard about Jesus. But I was apostate. I turned my own way. I did my own thing. I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need God. I didn't need all that stuff. And those are the most dangerous people on the earth. You want to know who the most dangerous people are on the earth today? People who have grown up in church and don't believe Jesus. That was my story. I was running my own direction, going my own way, wrecking myself from one sin to the next sin to the next sin, all the while knowing that Jesus died on the cross. And God had to break me. He had to draw in this apostate right here. And he saved my soul, praise God. And for some of you, that's you. You've grown up in church. You've done the Jesus thing. Got your master's degree in Jesus theology. But yet your heart is moving away. You're pushing him out. And I want to tell you that Christ died on the cross and he rose again for your sins. Do you remember what Jesus said to the most famous apostate in the history of the world? Judas. When Judas came to to betray Jesus with a kiss, Jesus went up to him and he said, Friend, do what you're going to do. Jesus would look at you this morning if you have an apostate heart and he would say, Friend, turn from your hardness of heart. Come and meet me. I'll give you eternal life and joy forevermore. Salvation is available. Even as God is a God of anger and wrath and judgment, salvation is available through Christ alone. Amen? And it's, for, it's available for you and for me if we'll take it this morning. So those are the warning shots. Don't create a pretend God. Watch out for hard and habitual sin. And know that God will pr- judge all pretenders in the end. And finally, unlisted point, God loves you. He loves you this morning. He sent Christ for you and me. And if by the grace of God, he's softening your heart, this is the morning that you can respond to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. God, it's a a hard text of scripture this morning. It's judgment and anger and wrath, and we don't like to think about those things. We don't like to consider those realities all the time, God, but we understand that you are God alone. And Lord, you will pour out justice and you will pour out perfect justice on those who turn away from you. And so Lord, I pray for anybody in this um, theater this morning that that is starting to pull away or just starting to get a little distant from the promises of God and the good news of Jesus, I pray that you would draw them back in by the power of Jesus Christ. By the power of his blood and his resurrection, would you pull in believers who are starting to fade? And God, if there's anybody in this room or the next room that's not saved, doesn't know Christ, has gone full on into sin and and needs to be rescued by Jesus and his love, I pray that you would save them even this morning. God, thank you for your word. We trust you to bless it as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.